Hi there, this is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the Consultant's Consultant. I work with data science teams, helping them work even smarter, faster and nicer. If you're brilliant and you want to be even better, this is the podcast for you. Ladies and gentlemen, today in my podcast, I have uh, a gentleman who is very much versed in customer relationship management, CRM, and he wants to change the world of how marketing and sales work. It is such a, and he's going to pronounce his last name for me. Satya Upadhyay. There you go. It sounds like, it sounds like you have called Satya Upadhyay <laughs> um, on your voicemail. Um, Satya, tell me, where did, how did you get into analytics? Where did you, what's your path? Well, I got into analytics not through accident, but by choice. Oh. So I, I used to work for a bank, mm-hmm. happy to say, mm-hmm. HSBC, and I had a great mentor. Mm-hmm. He actually mentored me three. So what we looked at, all about the aspects of data and customer. Mm-hmm. So it's all about you know how data is collected, how data is stored, and how data is consumed, mostly for analytics and marketing communication. So that's what my journey started off. And it's been like 20 years, I think? Uh, about 16, 17 16, years, 17? somewhere around, yeah. roughly around that. So, but so the good thing for me is being that I started in a sales role, so ah. I'm very much attached to a customer. Yeah. So, you know, when we, today we're talking about the customer as the focal point of every interaction. So I had that uh, pedigree and heritage of being in that space. And mm-hmm. I worked in a call center, Ooh. very, very closely associated with that. So yeah. I could really understand and then interpret that. And then, so when you look at CRM, there are really three components. Where do you start from? So some people would start from the strategy, some would start from analytics, some would start from operations. So I've actually done my rounds of all the three. Yeah. So I've done the slicing and dicing of data, you know, and then looking at segment of one and creating those segment-based approaches. I've looked at integrating different platforms together. So that's right. the... Um, the other piece and then that's the operational piece as you can say and then the strategy in terms of the top-down approach of how you look at the customer from the top and and look at data systems capability and bring it all together so by the time I was doing and all this was evolving so the future of marketing I would say was also evolving at the same time and then data and analytics machine learning artificial intelligence was also getting coined up and at that time in parallel there was another term that was getting coined which was called the marketing technology Technologist. Yeah. Now I am one of those marketing technologists. Oh, so, nice. is there a, is there a job description on LinkedIn that I can just? Well, that's where technology. I'm trying to educate people. There, yeah. there needs to be a job description and what you know elements actually fit in. So, where firstly, where does it the role actually sits? Yeah. Technology, marketing, marketing is all right. about behavior. Certainly side. not in IT. There is not a single data person that tells me that we should be under IT. They're all like, no, we're not IT. Well, ironically, uh, uh, I've actually sat in IT for a while. Oh, yes, and? So, I've had that experience and I'm in a good position to talk about the fact that uh, you know the operating model for a CIO and how it is different from a CMO yeah. and do they need to cross collaborate and that's why this marketing technologist role becomes very very mm-hmm. pertinent because the fact that it's one leg in the CIO camp yeah. and the one leg in the marketing technology uh, sorry the CMO camp now why this is important is that as we've gone in the last two years what we've seen is that a lot of the technology budget for marketing is now owned by the CMO not right. by the CIO. Oh, interesting. So what happens is the CIO becomes a custodian of these marketing systems and the owner is the CMO. Yeah. So this role gradually from IT has started to shift 
yeah. in the marketing side, uh, sitting uh, as one of the direct reports for the CMO. Mm. I haven't seen a lot of organizations yet who've embraced uh, this role because what's the job description? What type of skill sets you're looking at? Mm. So if someone's a, a CMO and is looking for a marketing technologist and they're talking about the skill sets they need, it's like a T. So you've got one vertical where someone's got deep experience in, and that could be data and analytics, that could be campaign management, campaign orchestration, digital, but then they need to know the other facets as well. So that's mm. the horizontal bar of yeah, the yeah. T. Now, why I say that is because when you have, and this is with, you know, with my behavioral marketers, mm. they've been above the line marketing. Where they, where they need really help and a lot of significant help is they understand customers' journeys absolutely well. Uh -huh. Now, the struggle is, how do you stitch these customer journeys across platforms and different systems uh -huh. and make a seamless experience? So everyone's talking about customer experience being seamless, continuous, exponential. All is good in terms, you know, when you're talking in words, but when you put that into a production and an application, how the data is getting ingested, mm. how data is getting enriched, how is getting transferred, and then pushed across for your marketing communication to your end customer, mm. that's where the help is needed. A maximum help is needed mm. for the behavioral marketers. Mm. Wow. So, so you want to change the world. Just one job description at a time. I would try to, uh, I would, the, the way I would start, I would change the world is that now people do understand what the future is mar of marketing is all about. Mm. So in one line, it's always has been about the customer. Yeah. The customer would always be the focal point. It was the focal point yesterday and it would be the focal point tomorrow. However, what's changing is that this interaction with this customer is going to be technology led. Right. It's yes. going to be insight driven mm. and analytically powered. So if you are in a marketing domain, if you're a CMO, you need to start thinking about how do I start embracing technology? Mm. How do I start learning data? And how do I understand analytics to basically do predictive modeling and, and other mm. related stuff? Wow. Just a small thing, couple of things you have to learn there. It shouldn't take too long. It shouldn't take too long. You don't, as a CMO, you don't need to learn all of that. Mm. You just need to have the right pe people with the right skill sets and capabilities in your arsenal mm. who can help drive this forward. Yeah, yeah. So how do you recruit those kinds of people? What's your experience in recruiting people? What do you do to find the right people? There's a challenge. So mm. when the job descriptions are going out, you really need to understand what is that skill set. So a lot of job descriptions currently, people are talking about campaign management mm. with a digital flavor. Mm -hmm. uh, and the marketing technologist may or may not know digital very well, mm -hmm. but would definitely know data and analytics, the mm -hmm. SQL behind the, the inter interrogation of data. Mm -hmm. He would understand how mail houses work. Yeah. So, and how the integration across different channels happen. Mm -hmm. How to orchestrate a multi-channel or an omni-channel customer journey. Mm -hmm. They would know all of that. Yeah, yeah, okay. But that's, they're all the, that's the skill sets. What about the skill sets around the ability to be able to talk to analysts and understand what they mean? That kind of, you know, that. Good, yeah. yeah. So, so that's where you're coming from, I guess, is, you know, the analysts are very abstract, black and white. So they can be. It yes. can be. So a marketing technologist, uh, what if I say a couple of things that they need to have in their softer skills, they need to be able to converse technical concepts mm -hmm. to a non-technical audience 
in a very, very simple language. Mm-hmm. And so, do, you, do you have, have you worked with any who have been good at that? Very few. Yeah. It's again like the data guys, the data nerds, you know, they're talking SQL, this is the query that I've written, mm-hmm. explain me what does that mean. Yeah, so yeah. that's where the challenge is vain. Yeah. But the other thing that they, they need to evolve is that they need to make complex things look very simple. Now the challenge yeah. that happens is that you go to a CMO with all this, you know, I can do this for you, blah, 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 blah. However, the CMO is going to say, wish I had this conversation yesterday. I've just signed a deal with X vendor and I'm already spending a million dollars there. Yeah. So what do I do? So that's the conundrum that they start facing mm. in terms of they've already made an investment in marketing technology and now you're saying that technology is going to take you only that far. It doesn't have those bells and this is what we're talking about and that's the other challenge that they've got. So this person really needs to understand every stack that's mm. in the market, mm. what's the advantage of one and, and a dis- over the disadvantage of the other, and then work around because yeah, you don't yeah. want to throw away that investment that you've already made. Mm. So how do I do a work around yeah, yeah. and make things happen? Yeah, yeah. It's that pragmatic bent Absolutely. that's important. And you also need to understand there's a person by the name of Scott Brincher, and he's been talking about the marketing lunascape. Mm-hmm. And I was following that from 2011. Mm-hmm. There are about 150 MarkTech vendors or solutions in the market. Mm-hmm. 2019, we're talking about 8,500. Jesus. That's a phenomenal. That's huge change. So for someone to know everything is next to impossible. Yeah. But I guess the, the key here is that do I, I don't know everything, but do I know a person that I can tap on the shoulder totally. and get the answer? Exactly. So when you're looking for that skill set, you know, do you know that? No, I may, I may not know that, but I know the person or the does. people who does and I can bring them in the conversation and we can have an informed decision yeah. based on that conversation. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell in, um, uh, in Tipping Point talks about them as mavens. I, I know who knows. Yes. And I can connect you to that information. Yeah, yeah. Versus connectors who know people. Yeah. I know hundreds of people, millions of people, and I can connect you to the right person. Um, very interesting. So what about you? How do you keep up, given there's 8,500 vendors? <laughs> what do you do? What's your kind of professional development? Well, I read a lot. Mm-hmm. I go to these conferences. What kinds of things do you read? Just articles about marketing, well, evolution of marketing technology and its impact. Is so, there a particular site or a particular place that you go to? Oh, there's a MarkTech uh, magazine and there's yeah. a CMO magazine from IDC that talks about a lot of these developments mm-hmm. as well. So I basically, but the best way is to basically go to user groups yeah. or to go to conferences. So you have right. all the big providers like the IBMs, the Oracles, the Salesforce uh, especially and mm-hmm. Adobe, for example, they have their conventions and, and conferences and you can basically get a lot of insights more around the product that they offer. Yeah. But more, it's also important for us to understand how it's evolving and how to use that product and navigate your way through. Yeah. Because there's no, mis- I, I, the way I look at it is that you might buy a product from a vendor and the vendor is going to basically ask, you basically end up buying different products from that same vendor under that umbrella and maybe all of those products are not required or they don't actually serve the purpose that you want. So what you need to do is you might have to have a couple of products from vendor A, a couple of products from vendor B and integrate them. Mm. So the challenge is is in the integration. Mm. And when you're doing your RFP and RFI, you need to be very diligent. And that's why, again, the story becomes very important is that, okay, let's say I've got product A and I've got product B, which I'm basically buying from you. I don't want to let go of my product A. How seamlessly can your product integrate into my existing product? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And then you start looking at, do you want to insource that? Do you want to outsource that? Mm. And do, do I have capability and capacity in-house? Mm. Or how, how quickly can I absorb that in-house? So I basically go through an outsourcing uh, relationship and I get all the, the bells and whistles that I need, the capabilities, I build it up from scratch, but then it becomes a costly affair. Mm. Do I, how do I manage that? Yeah. How do I transfer the ownership and organically grow my people? And that's where the question of talent comes in. Yeah. Back so to how, the recruiting again, how do you get that talent? How do you get that talent? So organically, you'll have people in your teams already. You just need to pick the right people in and cross-train them and pollinate them with these new evolving technologies mm-hmm. and trends and gradually and gradually. So how do you train them? What's the, what would you, if you were going to build that capability within the team, what, who would you get, well, how would you get that training done? Well, again, there's, there's multiple ways of getting training. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've that, the traditional HR way of talking, you know, you get 70% on the job training, 10, 20% through conferences. 70, 20, 10, and, which and is all a, that rule. Is which there. is an excuse to cut budgets by cut the budget. 90%. I think <laughs> the key here is that you need to find the person who's got the mindset. Yeah. And the mindset is the most important element because the ability, the craving to learn. Yeah. And, and that could mean, so I had this example, I did a lot of automations 10 years back mm. and I had that craving. So what I used to do is, it was not part of my job description. It was not a requirement on me to learn all of that stuff, but for me to really enhance. To. So I used to spend, you know, after my day, day hours, okay, I was thinking in the shower, if I were to transfer this file from A to B, currently I'm doing it manually. If I automate it, what's the efficiency I gain, the time saving I get, how do I do it? Now that question again, I don't know how to do it. Yeah. But do I know the right person who can help me get Correct. that point? Yes. Now, can he teach me? Yeah, yeah. And that's baby steps. You know, give me step yeah. by step instructions as as clear as mud. Yeah. And uh, let's see what we can do. And, and, so and there's a craving for learning, and there's that that ability to find the right person who knows. Yeah. These are two really important two important elements. Elements, I would say. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, how do you identify them in other people? How do you know that someone's got that craving for learning? What do you see? What do you hear? What do they say? If they're asking you a lot of questions. Okay. What if? How do I do this? How do I get this done? Is there a better way of doing it? Is there a faster way of doing it? Right. These are the questions that they should be asking. Right. The reason I say, let's say, again, I go back to my product example. Each product that you have in this marketing capability automation space that you've got relatively does the same thing does with the same level of sophistication. The only difference is the buttons on product A could be on the left, Mm -hmm. the buttons on product B could be on the right. So if you've been able to learn one, it's fairly simple to learn the other. If you have the right mindset. If you have the right mindset. Now this is the the message that I want to uh, relay to people who are in the hiring space, is that some people that I want that experience with product A Mm -hmm. only. Mm And then you're discounting a large population of people who's got BCDNA. Mm. And if you bring them along, learning the product is relatively very simple and easy. If they've done that, if they've mastered product B, give them a couple of months, they'll master product A. I think that's the other fundamental mind shift that needs to be Mm. changing. People just become very, very product centric. You need to be product agnostic and capability centric. Well, it's, cause it's interesting. I was just reading today in LinkedIn, um, uh, Harvard Business Review had an article around recruiting people for experience actually does not pay off. Recruiting people for 
what was the, I can't remember the exact, what was the option, the other option, but, but you know, if you've got three months experience or three years experience with product A, then, you know, that puts you into the yes, we'll interview you category. But that does, in fact, exactly as you're saying, it doesn't mean that the experience you've had with B, C, D and E couldn't also be useful, but we've cut you out because you didn't have A, where in fact the it's not predictive of not job performance. Because, I, I, I'm a, because I'm they're not thirsting for learning because they're only you know, Number one, product A. Yes, I'm a good example. So when I used to work at NRMA, this is back in 2009, they were using a campaign management tool which is owned by IBM now, or actually HCL, uh, Unica. Mm-hmm. The most utopian of campaign management orchestration system available on the planet, mm-hmm. as they say, but the most heavy machine right. to do the, to the, do the lift, lifting and shifting. Yeah. Absolutely. And I didn't have that experience. Mm. I, I came from a SaaS background. Yeah. But the hiring manager at that point in time just ignored that and they looked at my capabilities and ability to interrogate data yeah. and basically paint a picture and tell that story. Yeah. And how do you communicate with your stakeholders from a mapping campaign perspective? How did you doing your engagement and your all PIR, all things. of that? Way more and then I basically put my hands on the tool. Mm. And not to be, I'm very proud to say, that I automated my campaigns to an extent, what we're talking about customer journeys through applications and mm-hmm. automations, I did that 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, again, the, the whole world that I was able to think through, Absolutely. how to make it happen. And if someone's looking at a resume and going, well, you haven't used product X, but yes, but I've done this for so many, in so many different ways for so many different other product Y, Z, etc. Exactly. That's exactly yeah, the point. Yeah. But I, I, my first job out of university, I have a degree, my first degree is in French, French and Japanese. And my first job out of university was at what was then Anderson Consulting, now Accenture. Um, and they basically said, we recruit you because you can talk to people and we'll teach you how to program in COBOL at the time. Um, uh, because it's like, it's not hard to program in COBOL as long as you're you're able to learn, you've got a thirst for knowledge, you've got a reason for doing it, and you can then, you know, get the specs right because you're talking to people instead of putting your head in a book. And somewhere, I mean, not everybody has that attitude, but I think it's, it's certainly, well, served me well. So, yeah, it must be the right one. <laughs> ben, I think you, you've touched on a very good point, consulting, as you were imagining mm. at that point in time when you talked about your experience in consulting. They would actually take grads. Uh, I was a grad, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they would not really take a lot of experienced hires, right? Mm. But now consulting organizations are taking experienced hires because what they realize is that the people that actually graduate and more from their grads into analysts, consultants, senior managers and, mm. and, and partner level, they basically concise, they don't really have a good industry knowledge working in a vertical. No. And that's exactly. why they're trying to get people from industry in yeah, consulting to come, on in, to come on in and basically have a sense of an ability to empathize, I guess, Correct. because I've been there. Because yeah. if you because I've been in consulting world and I've been on a client side, I can really empathize and understand mm. what the challenges are. You know, consulting is very fast race, right? Whereas organizations could be really, you know, really slow to operate. Mm. And, and if you basically go with that mindset, okay, I'm gonna go in, go out, basically change the world, it doesn't happen. And that's why a lot of transformation projects fail. Mm. It's not because, and then they blame the technology. Yeah. And I've been into another project where this, we spent millions of dollars, eventually did not work, and who was to blame? Our technology. It's not about technology is the blame. The people are driving The people and technology. the change management. Because uh, what I look at is, is technology is, is, a, is, a, is an accelerator, it's an engine. Yeah. 
Yeah. That basically takes you from A to B at a faster speed. What where things are lacking is people invest a lot of money in the technological change aspect mm. of the program, but they don't spend a lot of money in the human yeah. or the people change aspect. So if I what if I have to say, if you've got a, a project plan for a million dollars, I keep half a million dollars for change management. Yeah. And that change management is all about training and upskilling your existing staff. Mm. You know, recruiting new staff to to basically build up that capability that you've got mm. and harness that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so talk to me about your in your career. What lessons have you learned when you look back? What were the you know maybe there was a leader who gave you some great advice. Maybe there was a mistake that someone made. And you were like, oh my god, that's a good lesson to learn. Um, coming from a data heritage, uh, one of the lessons that I've learned is that when there's a problem, yeah, speak up, right, as soon as possible, mm-hmm. and be very proactive in doing that. The reason why is because you've got you're not the end consumer of data. You you might be in the production stream, you might be in the middle stream of enriching that data. Someone else is consuming it, and there are so many people basically attacked behind that. So when there's a problem. When you basically call it out proactively first, there's a problem, everyone knows about it. Mm. They can manage expectation, they manage the expectations of the other. Let me give you an example. So when I used to be a data analyst, if I'm, there used to be a data lot of failure, this is the technical stuff that could yeah. happen once a fortnight, once a month. But if I don't actually uh, advise my marketing or my product stakeholders, they in turn can't advise their mail houses. Mm. So the mail houses are expecting a file drop, let's say five o'clock this afternoon, and they're basically expecting that, and all of a sudden something's failed, so they're not expecting that. So their machines are ready to go, and if we don't advise them at, at the right time, uh, you know, you have, we have a block. Mm. So that's one of the lessons yeah. that I've learned from a Speak up early because speak up absolutely early. And when you mess up things, raise your hand and say you've done it. Yeah. The reason why, don't try to fix it yourself because the first place, when you mess, you've messed it up because you just don't know how to fix it. Yeah. So ask for help. Yeah, after Okay, cool. I was running a leadership program last week. I was in Singapore, as you know, um, and uh, we talked about what are the things that leaders can do and say to make you feel inspired. And, and the one they came up with that, that of the 15 people in the room, it was like 12 of them said, yep, that's mine. It was mistakes will happen. I've got your back. I think you made a golden statement there. Yeah. So if you, if you miss, and that's one of the qualities of a leader, especially in this data space, that if you basically protect and back your star, they're basically more in tune yeah. to go back and try and innovate. Because this is, it's all about innovation, you know? Mm. Fail, but fail fast. Yeah. And that's the agile way of working. Yeah. Talk to me about complex explanations, because you would have in your career done some exceptionally complex explanations and made them simpler. You mentioned it earlier as something that was necessary. Um, how do you do that? What's your, do you have particular models or particular frameworks you like to use? Yes, I think visuals are the best. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I can't, when we had a project. We're, we're on a podcast. Here, you, show, can't show, show me. you can't show it, but I can actually mimic the way you, you talk yeah. about it. Again, that basically comes around the whole life, you need to understand your audience. Yeah. Your audience could be data savvy or they might not be data savvy. So they might be pictorial, they may be graphical, mm. and they might not love numbers. So you need to really understand your audience and then basically pitch your story as to what you're trying, the message you're mm. trying to communicate. I had a story to basically tell one of my business stakeholders about a data chain. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea was that, you know, did you realize that we're basically migrating into a new system and we're changing the data schema? 
and all these words I could see. <laughs> He's just not understanding. So, <laughs> so what does that mean? So I said in a very, very simple language, it's like you're traveling in the northern direction, so everything that you're facing is in the north. Now what's going to happen, we're switching gears and we are in the western direction. Mm. So things that you were looking in the northern direction is now going to be in the western direction. They're still there, they're just going to You're still there, but you need to change everything that you've got that was pointing in the northern direction, plug it and repoint it in the western direction. And it's going to all happen in 24 hours. <laughs> that was one, I don't know if that was a good analogy, but the other one I've got is really exciting because that helps. So I had one of my stakeholders and say, oh, you know what, The camp you're running these campaigns, the system is crap, it's not working, blah, blah, blah. We regret investing a lot of money in this system. You know, we should basically go and basically buy another system. I said, what's the problem? Oh, my guys are running campaigns and we're struggling. Uh, for the, you know, they're complaining that the campaigns are not getting out. And I did an analysis and I came back and we had a coffee. I said, let me explain you. So you're on the motorway, right? Four lanes, you can cruise at 120 kilometers an hour. The challenge that you've got, you've got a big truck that's moving in front of you, which is taking three lanes. Huh. It's not the problem with the motorway. It's the problem with the truck that you've got in front of you. Huh. So you've got two options. Either wait for the truck to go on the side lane or stop it and you basically pass through, huh. or you wait for it to go on the exit and complete its destination and then you can go through. Huh. So the simple answer is that the campaign that you're running you constructed it in a way, basically slowing down the system. Yeah. So the option that you've got yeah, yeah. is either kill those and restart your campaign in a yeah. better way, or wait for them to finish off, and then the passage will be clear automatically. Yeah. Nice, nice. And they took your advice. They, 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 they took my advice because that's a good analogy for them to explain. Because rather than telling them, you know, we had an application server and we had a database server and the RAM speed was this and that. It's jargon. They don't understand. Anything. And I think that's where the challenge has been that how do you com communicate technical concepts to a non-technical audience, mm. pure, simple English, yeah. that they can understand, absorb, relate. Mm. Totally. It's, um, but then at the moment, so it used to be we like don't mention technical stuff, but now I'm hearing, uh, my clients are telling me that uh, now their stakeholders are kind of going, oh, does this involve machine learning? Has this got mach has this got regression? Like they're like, that's like your vitamins in your cereal, you know, yeah. has this got riboflavin, niacin and thiamine in it? Um, it's kind of like they need to know that the buzzwords are in there, but they they want an analogy that's uh, you're driving yeah. along a highway, but there's got, you're driving along a highway, don't worry, there's machine learning in this highway. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> it's like, I, I've got to know the buzzwords are in there. And the yeah. buzzwords, you know, the, the airline magazines and the, you know, the different, everywhere someone's mentioning, either in panicking terms or in uh, golden terms, uh, now everything's machine learning. I'm happy to talk about, you know, multi-channel marketing and omni-channel and what the difference is and, and how to basically make that happen. And I guess sometimes, you know, people get confused with, between what's multi-channel and what's omni-channel. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think when you talk about that continuous, seamless customer experience, that omni-channel experience is very vital. Mm. For you, so for people really need to understand. So it becomes a buzzword. But again, that's why I said, you know, we talk about this behavioral marketers. Yeah. They, they're good at stitching, uh, talking about the life cycle in terms of the life stages, how that journey needs to flow from one point to the other 
but then how do you stitch that across mm. when you have different platforms? So we are talking and then we basically go on the web. So how do you basically, and then we basically are looking at a tablet and then we go into a shop. And how do you carry that experience from one destination to the other mm. or one device to the other? And, and that still be seamless. Mm. Netflix is a great example. You know, we could be, you could be on the bus going back home and you could be watching a movie and you basically shut down before you reach home. And then after dinner, you want to basically watch it again on your telly, you switch on your telly, basically picks it up from where you left. Yeah, exactly. It's very clever. Yeah, yeah. That wouldn't have happened. That wouldn't have happened five years ago. No, no. But then these, you know, the, the likes of Netflix, the likes of Amazon, the likes of Uber, they are changing the customer's expectation. Mm. Because, you know, like, it's not like, so now if you go into a branch, into a bank or a telco, they expect the same type of experience mm. that Uber's trying to provide you. Yeah. They want to basically know they were, what Amazon is trying to provide. They say, you need to know me. And that's where the concept of data intimacy is coming in. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Tell me more about that. So that's again, so that's a deviation. So there's two terms people are talking about a lot. One is customer experience. Yes. And one of the other one's data intimacy. Also, I'm talking to you about analytics translators. Exactly. <laughs> so when I say experience and intimacy, yeah. uh, is it the same or they're two different things? No, theoretically it's not. It is. It's different. It's different. So when I, it's, experience is a one-time transaction. You know, the, it, it, it coined from this call center operation of yeah. make or break that relationship and moment of truth type stuff. Yeah. Intimacy has got a bit more deeper. It's actually a summation of all the interactions. Right. And it's the depth of the relationship. So now it's, what it's saying is, Hey, organization, you know, you've collected a lot of data about me. So, you know, that concept of yeah. data rich yeah. and information poor, you now need to be data rich and information rich as well. So you've exactly. collected a lot. You need lot. to have to tell me, hey, you haven't bought a book for a exactly. while, so, but here's five that we know you'd love. Exactly. So that's where, you know, you need to know me Yeah. and, and you know me because you've reached me based on SMS, email, whatever channel, and you exactly know when you contacted me, how many times you've contacted and how responded to every communication that you've sent across to me, mm. then you need to reach me and recommend me something. It's not about, hey, this is the offer. Yeah. Give me an array yeah. of offers to choose from. So give me choices. Yeah. And then deliver that experience. And when you start delivering that experience, can you replicate that at speed, at scale, and with agility? Mm. And that's the iterative process where test and learn comes in, and mm. you can, you know, look at fail fast, what's working, what's not working, and and bring bring that to life and action again. And if you make a mistake, so you can make a mistake. We make a mistake. And and, and that, that's the whole point. So the question that we had about digital, digital allows you to do that mm. because it's pretty much real time. It's, it's spontaneous. You can basically do a test and basically get an answer in an hour, a couple of hours in a day, whereas compared to when you had direct mail type and renewal based or subscription based test and learn, it was like ages, you know, it could uh, take, yeah. your test and learn could be a 12 month cycle. Yeah, 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 totally. And so much faster now. Absolutely. So that, that concept of intimacy is really, really important. And what's actually bringing the fact is that, again, you need to be, the customer becomes the focal point. Mm. And I think where now this is moving to is, a, so when the customer is becoming the focal point, it's all about customer growth. Mm. And when you're talking about customer growth, there's a change in the, the naming of the chief marketing officer. They're now going to be called as chief customer officer. 
Ooh. or chief growth officers. Right. I think Coca-Cola recently changed their CMO to a chief growth officer. Interesting. Now, that could be debatable. So are we talking about a marketing function to just be a growth function, which is more around the tech and the startups, or mm-hmm. which is all about acquisition? Mm-hmm. But marketing is just not about acquisition. It's also about retention. It's also about brand. So so mm-hmm. these name, cha- name changing in terms of does the function of the chief marketing officer change by calling the chief experience officer or the chief growth officer? Mm. That's also debatable and that's also making the round in terms of how the C-level in the marketing customer yeah. domains need to be called through. Wow, interesting. So what about you? How do you, um, what are the routines you do to work smarter? Are there things that you do um, to keep yourself healthy, wealthy, wise that you can share? Oh yeah, so when I so for me it was all about when I used to run my campaigns or when I was in the space of data automation or marketing automation, I was I always had this feeling of how do I make it simpler, smarter? Right. And my example was always that if I can do this in a one day, can I do it in an hour? Mm-hmm. And how do I make it happen? And again, I don't have all the answers, but do I know all the people that have all the answers and I can tap on their shoulders and get that through? And I've done a lot of work in that space of really getting that go-to-market time, reduce what was months to weeks, what was weeks to days, what was days to hours. Correct. But I think, you know, the, the point is that data was always available. Yeah. It's not that, it's, it's not that all of a sudden you have an exponential, you know, explosion of data that's come through. It's just that the computing power has made it a very, very easy to analyze, to analyze that. And storage capacity has actually decreased. Sorry, the, the cost of the yeah, storage yeah. capacity has increased, yes. and you can flex that, but the cost of storage has actually decreased. Infinitely. Inf- yeah. I can remember working with State Rail in the early 2000s, uh, actually late 90s, uh, and they wanted to digitize plans, I think, for their railway station upgrades or something like that. And all that. It's too expensive. And the architect in charge was like, no, 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 it can't be too expensive. We've got to work out a way. No, 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 it's going to cost you now, of course. Yeah. It's like, it's, I've got that capacity in my phone. Um, but in 1994, two, three, something like that, it was just, it was possible, but it wasn't something that the average person was going to do. Correct. And now it's we've got Minority Report basically zipping around on those huge screens that touch. And so that's why you, know, you asked that question about machine learning. So that's where machine learning really comes very handy. Yeah. You're basically pulling all these data from different sources because it could, you know, it's not only binary numbers. Mm. It's structured and unstructured voice, mm. photographs, everything all combined together, sentiments. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff being done with voice analytics, I noticed, somewhere, again, on LinkedIn somewhere, I think, um, on, on, you know, customers, call centres especially. Call, it is, it's, it's a booming thing in call centres, you know, you can understand sentiments. So, for example, um, I used to work in call centres, we never had any of that, but I'm very close to that. So, so I think an example was that if a customer, you know, based on the tone of the voice, you can really understand what type of service that you need to basically provide to a customer. Mm-hmm. And this could be if the customer is very aggressive, uh, how do you actually switch them to a more experienced call taker who can handle their call with more empathy and, mm-hmm. and, and, and provide a first call resolution? Yeah. And I think that's where what's basically, and this is what good, you know, when talk, customers today are talking about a good customer experience, that's where they were talking about, you know, mm-hmm. I want first call resolution. I want the person who basically picks up the phone 
resolves everything. Look, in the case Single of Optus right now, oh. I would just like someone, a person, to pick up the phone. I, what has happened with all of these telcos and banks? I do not know. <laughs> because of cost savings, they've actually gone and put their call centers offshore. Yeah. And, and fundamentally... But then, look, Optus makes you go through a bot first. I was on a, I was on a call for 64 minutes the resolution was I finally got a person who then didn't solve the problem and I had to call back three so weeks later that, and fix uh, it again. I think where the research is coming from, that if you're using a bot, uh, you actually have a four-minute saving. Really? Using a bot. So it could have been 68 minutes. <laughs> so I think what optus need to be smart, and th this is where the call center operation, when man, and we talk about the fourth industrial revolution, mm -hmm. where man and machine are going to coexist, is to yeah. draw your journeys in terms of how that call flow needs to happen. So initially, it was the IVR going into a human, yeah. and then you prioritize based on you know, either looking for a mobile or. Yeah. The retention, blah blah blah. Now it's going to be a bot where you want to do a chat or the IVR through a phone and then bring what's the right time. If an agent is not available, can a bot help in parallel yeah. engage the customer? Yeah. And when a human actually gets freed up, takes over. Yeah, and I think for, in my case, it was a particularly weird thing where I had two different accounts that weren't talking to each other, which is not something everybody solves so, because not everybody has a home internet in one number, in one name and a, a work work phone in another name and unable to get them to talk to each other. Like that's a... How good was that yeah. when people talk about single customer view? Yeah. And people are investing billions of dollars and getting a single customer view and they don't get that right so you you're talking to a telco and they've got one product in Unlike one billing percent. system and exactly. the other product in the other billing system and then how can they see your relationship uh, in terms they of can't. They and the can't. bot can't see it and the bot kept coming back so you'd like to do this no i don't want to do that i've told you three times that's not what i want to do please talk give me your boss put me to your supervisor <laughs> and look i'm it's just because of my personal experience with optus i have no problems with optus except that they have they have tried to systemize the exception. Absolutely. And what they failed to do that because the exception continues to be the exception. I mean, it's supposed to be you routinize the predictable so you can customize the exception. And I was not customized to. But I mean, what am I? I'm just one customer. But again, no, it's not about you being one customer. I think it's, it's a steep learning curve. So yeah. it's, it's, it's estimated by 2020. 85% of the conversation in a call center would be managed by a bot. Well, so there's a lot of, so we're about bad. another one and a half years away from that number, if I say, yeah, yeah. but there's a lot of learning that needs to happen. Absolutely. And, and, and yeah, cross yeah. training and collaboration. And I guess this is where the point is that, you know, bots can really become superhumans. Yeah, they can yeah. be, but you can't replace a human. So that's what it's all about. That's it. I don't know that the humans would have been able to solve the problem either. Um, and that's the thing. I mean, I'm, I, I'm with Optus now. I was with Telstra for a little while and it was, this, it was not the same problem, but the humans weren't doing any better than bots did, frankly. Um, you know, having been a customer of both in the last five years. But Sorry, I, people I know who work at Telstra. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, the difference between a bot and a human would be that you can train a bot and then the bot would actually behave the way you train. So the chances mm -hmm. of them making an error 
is significantly less yes. as compared to a human. So the, the irony with the human is you, you keep, you can train the human and you keep training them, but they still, they still keep repeating the same mistake. Mm, mm, mm. I think with the bot, you should be able to get away with that. Theoretically. Theoretically. Exactly, exactly. So is there anything else you want to say? So I, I can see we're coming to the 40 minute mark and I want to, um, respect that time no it's been a great discussion yeah. i think uh, my purpose of coming here was really to elevate the position of the marketing technologist and yeah. really know people to really what that you're using my, my podcast as a soapbox no no i'm not <laughs> yes, uh, i'm just uh, <laughs> it's, it's okay. more about <laughs> there are so many people with that skill set and how to actually you know basically embrace that mm. skill set and basically promote that skill set in people mm. and take it forward mm. Well, it's been lovely. Thank you so much, Sacha, for actually opening your brain and letting it come out your mouth. Um, we'll do it again in a couple of months' time when Absolutely. there's something more to talk about. Right. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>